You're listening to New City's Sermon Podcast. We hope you're empowered and challenged as we root deep in God's Word in order that we might grow in the good news of King Jesus and live as faithful citizens of His kingdom right here in our city. Let's get into the scriptures now. Today we're doing something a little different. I'm I'm glad uh, we're going to have Testimony Sunday. You're going to hear some stories of real people living out real faith and real life with a very real Jesus. And sometimes it's helpful to hear your brothers and sisters tell real stories. Uh, God uses that to bring faith in a new way into your heart. So let me pray for us. I'm going to share a little scripture, and then you're going to hear some from people in the church. So let me pray. Lord Jesus, we do ask for your real presence with us, your real power, your real love, your real grace. We know that you have committed those things to us. And so we ask that you would grow us. And that as we look at your scripture and as we hear stories, Father, that you would change us and make us more like Jesus. We pray for authenticness. We pray authenticity. We pray for authentic faith, Lord. Uh, so, so often we pretend. We pretend that we're in a better place than we really are. And so we pray even that uh, hearing people's stories of real sin and real struggle and real weakness, that we would be encouraged to bring our real selves to you, Jesus. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. When I was uh, 19 years old, I came home from college, and it was after my first year at Auburn University, War Eagle. A couple people know what that means. Um, and I came home from college, and I had to get a job my, after my freshman year. And I went in, and I, I, I got an interview with this pretty good company. And I was, gonna, I was applying for an internship. And I, you know, as a 19-year-old, you don't know like, kind of what to do in the business world. And so I probably was underdressed. And I walked into this office of a very prestigious company for this internship. And I had an OK interview. I didn't really, hadn't really learned how to do an interview at that point. So I probably wasn't very impressive. Um, but I do remember one part of the interview where he looked at my grades from my first year of college. And they weren't bad, uh, but there were a couple Bs. And he pointed those out. And he said, you can't have those. You gotta get rid of those Bs. Those gotta be As. And I was a decent student. I wasn't, uh, I wasn't the best student. Uh, but that stuck with me. Because I was like, I mean, it wasn't even a ton of Bs. It was just a few Bs. And I thought, I've got to have straight A's to like impress this guy? Now I get it, there's a lot of competition and you want to pick the best people. But I, I started to realize that that's kind of the way the world works. Like the world works in you putting your best foot forward. You putting your best side of your, of your face forward for everybody else. And what I found out from that interview and what I began to see in the rest of my life was that we're expected to perform. We're expected to be perfect. We're expected to present ourselves as polished and put together. The problem is none of us are really that way. None of us are really that way. Not only do we have some B grades in our life, if you looked at all through our life, some of us are failing desperately in certain areas. But when we go throughout the world and when we interact with people and when we try and get jobs and when we try and gain social status and we try and get a raise, whatever it is, you have to put your best foot forward. And so that's the pattern that we learn. 
And what we do is we learn how to hide the dark parts about ourselves. We learn how to hide our shame. We learn how to hide our weakness. We learn how to hide our sin. Because no one is going to bless you, no one's going to promote you if you show the things that shouldn't be on your resume. We've got to hide the B's, C's, D's, and F's, no matter what they are. The problem is then we go through life not getting to be a real person. We're a pretend person who puts their best foot forward and the best, the best presentation of our polished self, but real people have real struggles and real sorrows and real sins. And so we end up telling stories to each other in a way that hides those parts of ourselves. We hide the parts that struggle, we hide the parts of ourselves that have shame. We don't, I mean, no one goes and puts their recent uh, conflict with their spouse, takes pictures of it, and then posts it on Instagram, right? No, everybody's happy on Instagram and Facebook. Everyone's putting their best face forward. We, the stories we tell are good stories. They're just not fully who we are. The good news is that the real Jesus came for the real you. He came for the real you that struggles, the real you that has weaknesses, the real you that has sin and shame and sorrow. Jesus came for the real you. He doesn't want you to come to him all polished and pretending that you have it all together because he knows that you don't. In fact, that's the very reason he came to earth. Jesus lived his life to bring love to broken people. And he died on the cross to bring forgiveness to sinful people. And he came back to life from the dead to bring new life for spiritually dead people. And he brought his spirit to bring new power for weak people. Jesus came for the real you, not the polished you, not the pretend you. He came for the, the real you. And as we begin to understand Jesus, it changes the way we talk about ourselves. We're not as afraid to expose who we really are. I mean, all of us have strengths, but we also have weaknesses. All of us have great things about ourselves, but we also have sins. And as we get to know Jesus and find security in his love for us, we begin to open up about who we really are. Are. Look at how Paul does this in the book of Romans. In Romans 7, he says this, when I want to do what is good, evil is present with me. How many of you would say evil's in your heart? That's hard to say, right? Thank you for being honest. But it's present in all of our hearts. All of us fall short of the glory of God. But Paul goes on to say, for in my inner self, I delight in God's law, but I see a different law in the parts of my body waging war against the law of my mind and taking me prisoner to the law of sin and the parts of my body. What a wretched man I am. Now, Paul doesn't mean that he's the worst person. He doesn't, he's not made in the image of God. He's made in the image of God, but he realizes he is morally corrupt inside. He doesn't follow God's law perfectly. He falls desperately short. So he says, what a wretched man that I am. Who will rescue me from this body of death? And see, as he exposes the dark side of himself, he shows us how to hold on to Jesus in hope. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then with my mind, I myself am serving the law of God, but with my flesh, the law of sin. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. Paul knows something about Christian spirituality that we need to learn. 
And it's that as you expose your sin, your shame, your weaknesses, your challenges, it's actually an opportunity to hold on tighter to Jesus' strength, love, forgiveness, and power. And Paul does this throughout the whole New Testament. I'm actually going to skip the, the next couple passages, but he goes on to say that he's going to boast in things that are weak about him. How many of you would take a resume, put all the good stuff about you, and then on another one, put all the bad stuff about you and turn in the bad one. Paul's willing to turn in the weaknesses in his own life and expose those because he believes it's an opportunity for God's strength to be manifested in his weakness. And as he shows everyone else who he is, his sin and his weakness, he believes it's an opportunity to point people to Jesus. And so Paul will confess things about him that you're like, uh, that's a little shameful, man. You got beat up and dragged outside of a city? That's shameful. But he says, in that moment of weakness, Christ met me with power. And so as a church, we want to get into the rhythm of being honest about who we really are. You know, our culture that we live in, in South Florida, I don't know if you know this, is really into outward appearances. If you're not from here and you move here, you see it. If you're from here, it's like, man, this is normal. But South Florida is hugely in outward appearances and appearing put together. But none of us are put together. And I don't want a church that pretends to be put together when all of us are barely hanging on. We want a church culture that believes what Jesus says and believes who Jesus is. We want to have a church culture where we can be honest about who we really are in our sin and our weakness and our shame because we believe what Jesus says about us is more true than anything else. And as that happens, you'll find that our church will actually grow in love for one another. That we'll see God's power and love in new ways. It's not that we go, oh man, I love being weak. I love these hard things in my life. I'm going to revel in my sin. Uh, keep going. It's rather that we see those things as opportunities to see Jesus more clearly. Can you go to the thing that says misconceptions? Testimonies, um, okay, it's not that you enjoyed the trial, thought you were better off because of the weakness, or celebrate your sin. Rather, through the trial, you saw God change your heart. In the weakness, you experienced God's power in a new way. When you turned away from your sin, you joyfully experienced God's love and forgiveness. And you want to tell others about your trial, your weakness and foolishness, because it points to God's love, power, and forgiveness. And so this morning, you're going to hear stories of people being open with you about um, their struggles, about their sins, about their weakness, because they want an opportunity to show you how Jesus is meeting them in the very midst of those things. Amen? I'm going to ask my dad, Dan Homas, to come up first. You can welcome him. sit right next to me? Right here? Yes. Um, yeah, it is like a talk show. I don't have a cup of coffee for you, though. I'm sorry. <laughs> so uh, this is my father, Dan Homas. I'm just going to call him Dad. Um, yeah, but I wanted to have him up because this weekend we're celebrating Veterans Day. And uh, yeah. 
if, if you're a veteran, would you just stand real quick? If you're, if you're a veteran, we'd love to thank you. All right. Thank you very much for your service. But we want an opportunity just to talk uh, with Dad a little bit about his own experience as a veteran in Vietnam and what God taught him. Uh, what do you got here, Dad? What are the two things that you brought? in the jungle all the time. All right, so Vietnam was an incredibly intense experience. Mm -hmm. You served a year there, and, but your life did not start off with a helmet and jungle boots. It started off with a rake and a shovel. Yes, it did. Can you tell a little bit about your life? Um, my story starts on a farm in Illinois where a crisis was when our cows got out of the pasture and went into the neighbor's cornfield. That was a crisis. I went to college for four years and got out <clears throat> looking for a life of prosperity and peace. It was well set, and my plan for God's life was that. My plan for God's life, catch it? A month later, I in, or a few months later, I ended up in a jungle fighting for my life. It was a long way from the farm and my life that I had planned for myself. I was, came to faith of Christ at 15, and my plan was, Jesus, if I need you down the road as a backup plan, I'll let you know, okay? But I'm doing just fine, thank you. Little did I know that was gonna change radically. You have a saying that you say about Vietnam, about the moments, can you tell them what it was like? I'm often, when I speak on Vietnam, I'm often asked what it was like, and I'll say it was 365 days of fear interrupted by moments of stark terror. Because in the jungle, uh, there's a verse that says, you walk by faith, but by sight. I learned to do that literally, because the next step might have been my last. And we would be in the mission in the middle of the jungle, and all of a sudden the entire jungle would erupt. And it was a shock that there were people out there trying to kill me, since I'd never experienced that. But that was the 365 days. And many times we had a split second to make a decision. Um, the war was very controversial, as those of you know, it was very controversial, and we fought for ourselves and each other. The bonding that we felt in our company was amazing. We had people of every different race, background, and color, and as our first sergeant said, there's only one color in the Army, and that was green. <laughs> and I had developed real love for these guys, and by the way, we still meet once a year every March. We have a reunion, and we're a bunch of old dudes, so... Stay away from La Quinta Inn on North Federal Highway in March, okay? <laughs> you, um, so you've talked a little bit about your expectations coming out of college and where you were spiritually. Mm -hmm. What happened spiritually? How did your faith grow and mature through your 365 days fighting a war in another part of the world? Ending up there, I was angry at God, angry at the Army, and angry at myself that I allowed myself to get into this because I didn't think God was in this God-forsaken place. How could he be here? I learned that he was in Vietnam waiting for me to come so I could learn who he is in the most adverse circumstances I could ever imagine. And I experienced that on a hour by hour basis. I now look back 50 years later and I call them lessons from the jungle and I probably get one a week. <laughs> that, and I'm often asked this, 
I'm going to be speaking at Broward College again in about two weeks, and the kids always ask this, why did God allow all your friends to die and you didn't? I said, I don't know why God allowed my friends to die. I know why he allowed me to live, so on November 11th, 2018, I could be here speaking to you. Mm. I learned purpose and mission in my life, and it hasn't changed since 1969. Amen. How... Um you know, you, you've, you've told me growing up that your faith really deepened, but there was also a moment of comfort you received on December 2nd, uh, 1969. You and your platoon walked into an ambush, and many people died, many people were injured. A very difficult day when that anniversary pops up every December 2nd. But on in that, that first day, you had a, an impression from in your, in your heart that comforted you. What was that? We walked into a North Vietnamese base camp of about 355 soldiers. We were 60. In the initial battle, we lost four many, many initially, plus my platoon leader, Bob Lacey, who was my best friend, one of my best friends. The battle lasted until late that night, and we were moving out of the kill area up into a relative position of safety at a hill in pitch black, and I was the last one out with Robert Ritchie. And I was carrying one of my friends who had been severely, more, almost mortally wounded. And Robert, and I was leaning over trying to maintain a low position and, and be ready and carry Jesse, who was just writhing in pain, when Robert said, they're following us, because that was the strategy of the North Vietnamese. They'd follow a company into the night location and do the rest of us off. I remember saying, Lord, I am tired of being afraid. If now's the time, I'm ready. And I stood up expecting a bullet to come crashing into my body. Now, I'm not psychotic. I heard a voice speaking to me saying, Dan, you're not going to die tonight. And it was so overwhelming. It was a peace that passes my understanding because it came from the Holy Spirit. Jesse, uh, <clears throat> who was a friend of mine who was a Christian, uh, we would <clears throat> we'd read the Bible together and we really got scared to pray. He says, Dan, is Jesus here right now? Okay, yeah, he said, then say something. Somewhere in the depths of my mind, Psalm 23 came out of my mouth that night. I had not said that verse in decades. I'd learned it in a VBS as a kid. I said, the Lord is my shepherd, and Jesse repeated it. The guy carrying his shoulders repeated it, and it was passed responsively in that pitch black jungle up that line that night, the 23rd Psalm. That came from the Holy Spirit that night. We were able to move back out of the area and kind of secure a night location. We still had two more days. Uh, Americans don't leave Americans behind. We had two of our dead buddies that were still down in the kill zone. We had to go back in and get them the next day. And we walked into another ambush, and we lost about, no one was killed that day, but 10 more guys were wounded. And finally, on the 4th, we were extracted. Uh, Lieutenant Lacey, I was his radio operator, Cater's radio, was awarded the Congressional Medal of Honor for his actions that day. He had seen a, a rocket-propelled grenade coming at my friend Bernie, who was carrying the radio. At the last minute, Bob dove over Bernie, took the direct hit from the RPG, rocket-propelled grenade, saving the radio, Bernie, and our life, because if that radio had been knocked out, I would not be sitting here. He was awarded the Congressional Medal of Honor for his actions, so, and he's on the wall. I was just there two weeks ago and saw his name again. Let me ask you this while you're there. You have often seen what 
Robert Lacey did for you and mm -hmm. for the rest of the company as a metaphor of what Christ has done for you. Can you talk that out? Well, scripture talks about greater has, has no one than someone lay down his life for his brother. And not only, I, I've said this when I speak often, I said I've had two men die for me in my lifetime. One that I might live for a few more years and one that I might live forever. Two dramatic stories, same theme, but Jesus died for me that I could live forever. And as you came out of Vietnam after your year there, um, how do you look back on that experience? What was God doing? You have a scripture that you like to share. Um, Hebrews 12.9 probably is my life verse because some of you who know me, I, I was not the easiest kid to raise. My older brother was the compliant firstborn. You can do the math, what I was, a secondborn. It says, now no discipline. And I thought that was punishment until I realized that word means training and instruction. Now, no training and instruction is joyous at the present time, but grievous. And I thought, if I put a little postscript, I'd go, no kidding. But nevertheless, it works the harvest of peace and righteousness to those who are exercised by that training and instruction. And that's been what God has done in my life through the Holy Spirit for the last 50 years. If I ever get discouraged, I look back to those sentinel moments in my life where he was faithful and never let me down. And I'm thankful here. I'm gonna quote my six-year-old granddaughter. She says, Poppy, I'm glad you didn't die in Vietnam because if you had died, my daddy wouldn't be here and neither would I. Isn't that amazing? I wanna just share something with you. I think you gave this to me a while back and um, this little Bible, I believe that your brother <laughs> gave you before you went to Vietnam, and I've had it for, I don't know how long, but um, it's fallen apart because it's decades and decades old. Um, but uh, your brother wrote on the front there, our love and prayers go with you, John and Carla, and then they wrote Romans 8, and I want to just read that to you as a way to kind of close our time out with you. Uh, now in this hope we were saved, but hope that is seen is not hope, because who hopes for what he sees? Now if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with patience. In the same way, the Spirit also helps us in our weakness, mm -hmm. because we do not know what to pray for as we should, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with unspoken groanings, and he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit, because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. We know that all things, even Vietnam, work together for the good of those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. Thank you for sharing. You, uh, you know, as, as your son, I'm so thankful that God saved you and spared you. And as your pastor, I'm also so thankful for what God did in you and how he has used that difficult season to bless so many other people and to mature you and to mature me as well. Thank you for sharing. Let's give him a hand. Thank you. I'm going to ask um, Brooke and Patrick to come up. And, you know, some of, some of the stories we have, like my father's, are stories that happened 50 years ago. And some of those are stories that are unfolding right now, uh, right today. And so we're going to hear a story where we're still seeing how God is working. Um, what's going on in your life right today? 
Okay, so um, a little over a year ago, I took a job as a traveling superintendent for a construction company. So I pretty much expected a little travel to come with it. Um, for about three months, I lived apart from Brooke and the kids. We have a right now a nine-year-old son and a six-year-old daughter. That was the hardest three months of my life. Um, you know, doing the FaceTime, doing the phone calls with Brooke and the kids was not cutting it. So we pretty much had a heart-to-heart -heart phone call, and I said, look, you guys need to be planning to get the kids out of school, move over, uh, and, and let's, let's get back together uh, by the first of last year, or this year. Um, so we did. So Brooke decided to homeschool. That was a, that was a new thing for us. Um, it's actually been incredible journey and Brooke is uh, just so dedicated and talented um, to, to throw herself into that. But it's just been a crazy year. About a year and a half ago, Brooke lost her mom. So in the midst of new job, um, hitting the road, um, not knowing anybody, not having a church community to really plug into, um, it was scary. And so Brooke came over with the kids, and the first people, I mean, literally probably the first people she met was a church planter who graduated from the same school I graduated from. And uh, John immediately said, oh, you've got to meet Virginia. You guys are going to be like peas and carrots kind of thing. That's the way I understand it. And, um, and it has, it's just from that, and I think our first Sunday um, at New City was Easter Sunday. Um, so, I mean, it's just, like, God is poetic, I think, sometimes in how he reveals things, that, that on Easter Sunday we would find a church, and that, you know, um, but he has been uh, with us through our journey, just... Uh, you know, throughout that. So I don't know. So yeah, just the, the new job and the new place and the and new school situation for the kids. Um, and there's just been so much love and support all along the way. Did I leave anything out? Well, what are we doing now? Oh yeah. So that was the, that was the first chapter. <laughs> Sit back, relax. Um, so we had planned to be in South Florida for about a year and a half at a minimum. But about 10 months into uh, this season, I got transferred to Orlando. And uh, it was, this was like weeks, months after her brother had relocated down here. Uh, her father had relocated down here. So, I mean, we had plans to really uh, make roots and stay. And, and just everything was just really looking like our plans were coming together. Uh, so... So I, now I'm up in Orlando, uh, Brooke and the kids, uh, after trying to find a job in this area, and everyone in this church praying, and, and, and just all of the, trying to get us connected with some construction companies down here, it just wasn't, it wasn't happening, the timing wasn't right, so we had to uh, basically just bite the bullet, bite the bullet understand we're, our, our next move is in Orlando. So, so Reluctantly, we have uh, decided that that's where we're going to uh, go right now and wait for some opportunity uh, down in South Florida, maybe in the future. But so it's just a lot of upheaval 
and it's a lot of uh, not knowing. It's putting my resume out and for months and not getting th- anything back. So it's that doubt and that's that not knowing what the future may hold. It's it's coming to terms with like what what are our plans and what are God's plans and you know just a lot of a lot of unknowing and and it's and how you how you wrestle with that. Yeah. So. Uh, the challenge in, in some of the real life is that this is actually their last Sunday before they move. And um, it's, a re- it's a real life story. And they would love to stay here and, and plant roots in South Florida and continue to bless us by being pre- part of this church. But that's not where God has led. And what I love about Brooke and Patrick is as, as they've gone to Orlando and had to kind of commute back here to be part of the church, um, they've done so saying, God, we don't know uh, why you're not allowing us to root down in South Florida, but we're learning to trust you. And I thought, that's real life, isn't it? I mean, sometimes resolution comes to our problems and we can testify to God's goodness, but other times we have to move and we don't want to. And yet we're still learning to trust God in the midst of that. Let me ask you this. How have you guys you know, looked to Jesus and what he's done for you and the gospel as a way to know I can trust God even though my life's not going where I want it to? So I'll tell you a little bit about uh, my background. I was raised Catholic. Um, when I met Brooke, I wasn't particularly close to a church or close with, in a relationship with the Lord. Um, it was maybe 10 years after we got married that uh, a friend of ours, a friend of Brooke's, uh, invited us to visit their church. Um, Throughout the, the next four years, I got plugged into a small group. Um, I encourage every single person here to plug into a small group of friends in their journey with, with a relationship with the Lord. If I said God loves you like a father who has given his own flesh to save you, to rescue you from death, if I told you that, I don't know that it would really hit you. For the, per- the person that's visiting, if I said, God loves you, you it may not resonate. It is, it's just like if you were meeting you know, a, a boyfriend or a girlfriend or just dating or whatever. If, if you went up to that person and said, I love you, the first time, you'd be like, you're weird. This, okay, you have to get to know the, the one who created you. And, and it is through that small group experience that, that I have that foundation, that I sort of have a maturity in my spiritual life, that I know that when I'm challenged or when, when, when your life kind of gets flipped upside down, you know where to go with that. Um, and so, so I would just say that when, when my job changes or when relationships in my life change. You know, I know how to react. I know how to respond. My heart knows where to go. God's always there for us. No matter what my bank account says, no matter what the political environment is, is doing, God is always there. And, and, and He's my forever. Um, he's my hope. He's my foundation. And so, you know, you, you ask for a specific example of, of where you know, when, 
when I'm when I have a lot running through my head, I just I just pray. I just say I say, God, I don't I don't know what you're trying to reveal to me right now, but I know you have big things planned. I know you're you're you know you have blessed me with an incredible, incredible strong woman who supports me, who walks with me. I mean that that is you know so I look at my kids and they're so strong and resilient and and then that I see blessings. Um so I tell Brooke, I say, we have our health. I mean, I know that's cliche, but we have our health. And um, as long as I have these beautiful kids and this beautiful wife and, and we can just, we can lean on God, then, you know, we can handle anything. And uh, I think the hardest part in the not knowing is, um, like, we're human, so it's really easy to get to that point where we're, we're mad at God or we're angry that he's not doing what, do we, what we want him to. But um, the good thing is, since we've been going through this, is that we have each other to lean on. Like, if I get weak, he will, he'll say, what are, you do, what are you doing? Go read your Bible. Like, go listen to some worship music. Like, and he points me back to the truth. And same for, for him. If he starts to get weak, I'm like, you're crazy. Like, God doesn't, God, God doesn't think that. He loves you. Like, so, so it's, it's important to, like, what he's saying about joining a small group, have people that are pouring into you and that are pointing you back to the truth because it's so easy in this difficult time to um, forget that he is there, but he, he is, he's there. Even though we don't see what he's doing, he's, he's, you know, under there working and doing what he has to do in order to get us to where we need to be. Amen. And, and I want to encourage you as a church and you all just remember when the future is unclear and you're uncertain what God is doing, if he gave you his son, if he sent Jesus to die for you while you were still a sinner, he loves you. He's not withholding something good from you because he gave you what he loves most, Jesus. And let that be an encouragement to you all as you move. You all have brought so much to the church and I was just counting in my mind, I think you've only been here seven months in this church. You plugged in Easter Sunday, and uh, it's been awesome. We've gotten to know you guys. Our kids are friends. But you guys have added a presence to the church, and we're so thankful. I'm showing pictures of you as we're talking. Uh, but we, we put together these pictures and a little photo album for you here that you can take. Here you go. You can take with you. And if you have any pictures of your phone from New City, you can take uh, those with you. And we, we do hope that God brings you back, but we also realize that he's not doing that right now, and we want to send you um, with his blessing. So uh, I want to pray for you, and then um, and we want to thank you also for sharing. I want to pray for you now, though. <laughs> Would you all pray with me for the hails? Lord Jesus, we thank you. Um, we thank you for this couple that you love, that you died for, that you sent your spirit. And I pray that you would bless them. I pray that you would help them to plug in to a church there, that they would find the church where they could serve and grow. And as their kids transition, Lord, that they would make new friends. We pray, Father, that you might bring them back to us. And we ask in faith that you would. If you don't, we still trust you. You're still good. We pray that you would use them and what they've learned here at New City in the next place that they are. We ask them for safety, safety for them. We ask 
for joy in the Holy Spirit and a deep sense of love uh, from Jesus for each other. In your name we pray, amen. Thank you, guys. Uh, while we do our last testimony, I have a little card that if you want to sign for them, you can, and then we'll give it to them at the end of the service. Chevelle, come on up. All right, Chevelle is our church life coordinator. <laughs> and uh, God has done some incredible things in her life. Chevelle, share about some real life stuff. Um, some real life stuff for me um, is that I'm an ex-addict. Um, um, I was addicted um, to drugs, you know, but I'm not now. Um, I've been, you know, molested. Um, I've been abused. Just a lot of things in my life. Hmm. And, um, but, you know, through all that, you know, God has brought me to a place now. And um, I'm very thankful to where I am now. Hmm. Just so you know, is anybody going anywhere? She just confessed some real stuff. Anybody going anywhere? Or are we still here in love with Chevelle? Yeah. Amen. Chevelle, you had a time, and you've been open with this, where you had to serve some time in prison in the midst of your addiction. Tell us how, what, what the emotions you experienced during that time. Um, loneliness, um, regret, shame, guilt, a lot of guilt because of my children, you know, I had to leave my children. Um, hmm. You know, I lost custody of them. And um, I mean, I, I just, mostly I, I felt alone. You know, I felt disconnected to everything, you know, um, to the world when I was in prison. Um, it was like I had to do prison alone. Hmm. Um, I was in a dark place, a very dark place because of all the emotions and everything that I was feeling. Um, I basically, um, I basically turned away from everybody because um, I didn't want them to really know me. You know, even though they knew what I was doing and everything, but still, I didn't want everything to come out in, in my life. You know, um, and it, you know, I, I don't know. It's basically just being alone. Mm -hmm. You know, alone. You know, I felt like you know God had just left me. You know, and um, but in reality, it, He didn't. You know, because. He always put people in my life throughout my addiction, um, good people that will pour, you know, God's word in, into me. And, um, but then I would always mess up again, you know. I would get out of jail or prison, and I would go back to the same people, places, and things. Um, I went back to the familiar. And that's, that what kept me in 
the grips of addiction. Um, so. Amen. Tell me, tell me how you were able to break that pattern. What, what happened in your life that made a change? What made a change was um, I was in my addiction for 25 years, in and out of my addiction for 25 years. And what changed me is one night, I remember I, um, I was on a run. If everybody know what a run is, I was um, out there using drugs. And, and that night, um, I was in a, a hotel room and God spoke to me so clearly. And it was, it, it's this Bible verse that, that, God, that God just brought to me all the time. And it was Jeremiah 29 and 11. And that scripture was like, it was on the wall. It was on the wall of that hotel room. And I thought that night I was gonna die. I was gonna die that night. And so I got on my knees and I pleaded to God, Lord, I don't wanna be this way. Please take, just take me, just take me. I cannot hurt my children anymore. You know what I mean? I told him I don't wanna live. I don't want to do any of that, you know. But you know, that next morning when I woke up, I went to sleep, you know. I woke up that next morning and I got on the bus. I got on the bus and I went to the church that I, I was going to, and that was Coral Ridge Presbyterian Church. I went there and I told um, the pastor there, I said, I need to talk to somebody. So I talked to him the pastor there, you know, and, and I've told him, you know, listen, this is what I'm doing, and you know, and I want help, you know, but just know the night before then, I wanted to die. I wanted to die. And so, um, at that time, I was wanted by the police, you know, I had several warrants for, you know, my arrest and, and everything like that. And so, um, the cops came to the church. I don't know how they knew I was, going, I was going to the church, but they came to the church and they arrested me. And at that moment, when that cop put me in the back of that cop car, I felt a release. Hmm. I felt safe. I felt safe from myself. Hmm. And so from that, from that time on, and that was in two, 2012, and and while I was in prison, you know, God just started just putting people in my life. You know, I started going to church in, in, in prison. I started um, getting connected, hanging around the winners there in prison, um, going to AA, NA. And I mean, I just got so connected. I, I, I knew that it was my time. It was my time this time, you know, and I did five years there. I did five years and, and I got out and I immediately got connected with back with New City. Um, as a matter of fact, was a lady here named um, Becky. I don't know if you guys know Becky, and Becky started bringing me here. And then, you know, I was in um, I was in a a treatment. Well, it's not a treatment facility, but a recovery center. And I stayed there a whole year, and it's a faith-based program. And there, I got connected with friends. Um, friends, Laura is one back there. She's back there, and and I was just going to church and everything, and you know God was just using me there in in the recovery center, 
And so um, I became employed there, became employed there. And so that gave me an opportunity to stay connected. When I first got connected to Chevelle, um, it was amazing to see the change in her life in terms of perseverance. When Chevelle got out, she had a very difficult time finding a job because of her record. And she would get hired, and she'd do a great job for three days, and then they, the background check would come back, and they would let her go. Three times. Three times. <laughs> three times. And her and I would talk, and I would just try and encourage her, don't quit. I know that you're getting disappointment at every, every point because of your record, but Jesus doesn't see you that way. Jesus has paid for your record. And so you and him, you have his love. That'll help you persevere. God's going to open a door. And Chevelle came to me and said that she actually was doing, uh, had such influence within the recovery center that they were going to hire her to help other people who were in that center as well. And so here she is persevering. I'm sure there were times that you thought, what, is this worth it? Yeah. <laughs> but God used you. You persevered, and God opened up a door for you. And then after that, you and I began talking, and as we looked at your skill set and what the church needed, I realized Chevelle was really a great fit to be the church life coordinator. And uh, it's amazing. Would you, what would you have done if you could go back to that point where you were not getting the jobs, and you could go back from today to that point? What, how would you encourage yourself in faith in Jesus? Um... I would say my, my scripture, Jeremiah 29, 11, and that scripture says, um, for I know the plans that I have for you, plans for good and not of evil, to give you a hope and a future. And um, that scripture has, has carried me. Hmm. It had totally carried me. So Amen. just knowing that I, I have a hope and a future, you know. But you know, I, even that, Pastor John, God is so faithful. You know, God has restored my children back in my life. Amen. You know, and they don't hold it against me. I got my son right here um, to Jairus. And, um, <laughs> and so, I mean, and, and I'm just, uh, I mean, I'm really happy. I, I give God all the glory, you know, him all the glory for everything, you know, for being here at New City. I love New City. I love everybody here. And, um, <laughs> I want to pray for you, Chevelle. Okay. And um, I want to pray for oh, you. I got laid off from my job just at the recovery center. But. She did. <laughs> but, but we've talked it through, and it's amazing to see that from your life and the trials that you've experienced, how you're handling things with faith. Mm -hmm. And I really, it encourages me. Thank you. Let me pray. Would you pray with me for her? Lord Jesus, we thank you for Chevelle. We thank you for a woman who's willing to share about the darkness of her past in order that we might see the light of Jesus in her life. We thank you, Lord, that you are restoring her. We thank you that you redeem all of us, Lord. The truth is, every one of us has fallen short of your glory. And yet, no sin is unforgivable because Christ died for all sins. We thank you that we are seeing redemption play out in Chevelle's life. Lord, we pray for more people who have had similar struggles with Chevelle that we might be a place where we, they could see their lives restored through Jesus Christ. Yeah. 
We thank you for her work here at New City, and we pray, Lord, that as um, she's wrestling with what to do uh, in the future related to work, that you would guide her. Lord, I pray that all the stories today would encourage the people here, and if there's someone here who doesn't know Jesus, might they have heard something today that was relatable, that they could hold on to and say, Christ loves me as well. There's, there's a real Jesus that I can access with real faith and real life. Amen. And all God's people said, Amen. 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 Thank you, Chevelle. I'm going to ask the worship team to come on back up. And uh, we're going to finish our service today by taking the Lord's Supper. And here's why. Uh, every one of you has a story. Every one of you has real struggles and real sin and real shame, and I hope that you were encouraged as you heard people tell their real stories. But the Lord's Supper is for real people with real stories who are learning to put real faith in a real Jesus. If you come today and take the table with us, if you take the elements that represent his body and his blood, you're saying something about your story. You're saying, I'm weak, I'm sinful, and I struggle. But I am relying on a Savior who is powerful and forgives me and loves me. What we're saying by taking this is that we're so bad off that we needed someone to die on our behalf. And if that's you and you say, my hope is found in nothing less than Jesus Christ and his righteousness, we would invite you to the table. If that's not you, don't feel the pressure uh, to participate in this with us. This isn't a ritual, it's a relationship that we have with Jesus Christ. And if you don't have that relationship, we're not here to judge you, but we ask that you do not participate. And instead, you just take a moment to pray. How we're gonna do this is we're gonna ask people, if you're on this section, to come out the aisle and everyone will come up through this left aisle or on your right, and Chad and I will serve the bread and, and the juice to you. We'll speak some words over you. And uh, you're free to come and receive the Lord's Supper as an encouragement that Christ really has died for you and his spirit is with you. 